Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. 23-year-old Alexandra Lucas was diagnosed with an extremely rare eye condition called Devick's disease a year ago. Alexandra joins me now to tell me all about how she's coped with her sight loss over the last year, the support she's had from her wonderful fiancé and how she dreams of writing books one day. Alexandra, thank you so much for joining us here on the programme today. Now, you were diagnosed not so long ago with a condition called Devick's disease. Now, this is one that I have not heard of. It's particularly rare disease. Basically, it's, um, I mean, like you said, it is rare. It's one in, uh, I think, 100,000 people. Um, so in the whole of Birmingham, let's say there's 2 million people in Birmingham, there's only going to be like 30 people who have it. Um, and at first they were querying MS um, when I lost my sight because I know that can be one of the symptoms and um, they did countless MRI scans, they checked all my reflexes, everything else seemed to be fine um, and then all of a sudden they were querying Devick's disease because it, it basically acts very similar to MS um, but it can either affect the optic nerves or the spinal cord or in some unfortunate cases both um, and it's sort of like a mutation in your antibodies that mean that your own body turns on you and it can take your sight or it can paralyze you in literally the blink of an eye so they they were querying that for a long time and now they're not even sure if it is that now, this must have come as a terrible, terrible shock to you, Alexandra, because you're only 23. Uh, you were working as a brow technician, weren't you, uh, for benefits? That is a very, very, very visual job, obviously. Yeah. How quickly did this happen? What was the onset like? Uh, it was really strange. It started January last year. Um, I noticed that in my right eye the vision was going really blurry and uh, my doctors weren't sure why so they sent me to an optician Um, and I think they were hearing blurry vision and they thought oh could be corrected with glasses and they were a bit concerned that the glasses weren't correcting anything so they referred me to the eye hospital in uh, Dudley Road in Birmingham and they thought it might be a case of optic neuritis so they gave me three days of steroid drips and then some oral steroid tablets to wean me off um, and then in May um, so a month on from when I was referred to the hospital uh, I was at work and I just had this incredible headache it was like a migraine um, radiating from right at the bottom of my head to behind my eyes and it was making me feel really ill and I went home and um, I just went straight to bed and I woke up and me and my fiance we'd just moved out so we were going off to town and you know to get some things for the flat and I said I can't see and he went what do you mean you can't see and I said I can't see I can't see your face and uh, he took me on the bus to the hospital and I couldn't see the bus even though it was right in front of me and I mean buses are huge things you can't really miss them and uh, they were absolutely baffled but it was just such a whir of activity I just I never got to take it in really it was just really strange You know, I lost my sight when I was 19 very, very rapidly and not quite as rapidly as that. I mean, my sight took uh, two weeks to go. But like you, I woke up one morning and everything was black uh, because my eyes had been hemorrhaging all night. Now, you're only 23. Um, This happened to you a year ago. You're still very, very fresh uh, with this, Alexandra. But, you know, you're at an age where... 
you're on the threshold of your life, you're going off to pursue your chosen career, you're traveling, you're doing all the things that, that young people of that age do. And all of a sudden, you are hit with this huge traumatic episode that must have just terrified you. I mean, did you think at any stage, did it sink in immediately or did you think that, that I'll get my sight back at some stage? Um, I mean, they were really hopeful at first, but as I say, it was just such a busy time. Um, I didn't really have time to take it in. I just sort of woke up and I thought, what's happened? Because I'd never heard of anything like this. But because it was just so busy and quick, um, I didn't get a chance to take it in. And I was in hospital for the best part of two weeks. And then about seven months on, it suddenly hit me and I had a massive breakdown. I thought, what if I never get my sight again? And it's nearly a year on um, and it's still, you're still at the point where you think, you know, maybe it'll come back. But there's a massive part of you that just thinks, yeah, but what if I'm like this for the rest of my life? And it's, it's really hard to stay positive, but you just have to keep going. Well, you do, unfortunately, there's there's no door you can escape from with something like irreversible sight loss. You know, I always yeah. used to, to think to myself, you know, I just love to run away. You know, why can't this just be like a bad marriage? I could open the door and run and keep on running. And, you know, you come to the realisation that you can't, but that takes time. And I'm kind of putting myself back to the situation you're in now, you know, a year on when I was going through my sight loss and I think that you know you 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 want to appear to be strong and you want everybody to think that you know you can handle anything that life throws at you but there is that breaking point where you've all almost got to kind of give into it and allow yourself to grieve. Well the the hardest thing I mean as you say you kind of wish it was like a bad marriage that you could run away from um, but the hardest thing is when it's your sight you can't ignore it it's literally in front of your face um, and it, it's almost like I was telling my mom the other day if I had gone deaf if I sat in a quiet room without the TV on you could kid yourself that you could hear again and if you turn the TV on you'd be able to hear it but with your sight it's obviously a lot harder every time you blink and open your eyes there's nothing there and um, I have a, a lot of the time if I'm sleeping I have a dream that my sights come back and it feels so real and you wake up and you're like oh it was just a dream and for a moment it kind of comes over you again but you do have to keep going and I always think to myself it could always be so much worse and if it is Devix um, as I say it could go the other way it could have paralysed me you just have to be thankful for what you have got. Well, you know, your attitude is is really, really admirable. It's incredible. And, you know, you're going to inspire so many people that hear you today. But um, you were dealt another devastating blow only a few days ago in that this possibly isn't Devix and they don't know what it could be. Are they going to continue testing or is it just a case of we don't know what it is? Go and live your life. Um, it's a bit of both. Um, I saw him and he said, I'll see you in six months time. And I said, well, what are you going to do in the meantime? I, you know, I'm at the stage now where I'm thinking it's hard to live like this. And he said, well, you know, I've got colleagues that I can speak to in hospitals that specialize in Devix because he said, all of your tests are coming back normal. Um, but the only thing that's worrying me is your reflexes are too brisk while they are there. They're too exaggerated. Um, but he said it is still very similar to Devic, so he's going to speak to his colleagues and see if they agree that it might be a different strain. 
Um, but he said, I don't want to give you false hope, but I don't want you to give up hope. But when you hear that, you think, oh, my God, I feel like there's no hope. But we've refused to believe that there is nothing else. Um, and we've gone online and we found that there's a hospital in Germany that specialises in optic neuropathy and optic atrophy, which is the main thing that I am diagnosed with. Um, it basically means my optic nerves are basically damaged and there's no repair. But this hospital in Germany, they have had really positive results. And as far as I can glean from them, they use electricity to rewire the brain into repairing the nerves itself. And while it's not been completely successful, it's a massive step forward. So it does give you a bit of hope after having bad news. Do you know something? You're so right and you have to cling on to that hope. You know, I think there is a certain point in your life where you think, right, you know, I'm going to explore every single avenue I can. I really hope for you, Alexandra, that you find something along the way. And even if you don't, you will get to the stage where you think something will happen one day. But in the meantime, I'm going to stop chasing rainbows. I'm going to stop looking for that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and I'm going to wait until it comes to me. And, you know, it's it's so difficult but you have to be in the right mindset about your future have you thought about what you are actually going to do for work or at the moment is it just completely all about trying to to get your site back if possible um it's still kind of up in the air um because I've always been very um creative and I used to want to be an author um, and I used to want to write books and things like that. And I never got around to doing it. And I trained in beauty and I used to work in a salon uh, and then went on to work for Benefit doing makeup and eyebrows. And as you say, it's quite visual work. And while I'd love to go back to that, you know, there is a part of you that thinks, OK, if this is how it's going to be for the rest of your life, you might have to accept that there is nothing else. Um, and while I would love my site to come back and just to go back and be like, oh, God, that was a bit of a blip. But here I am now. You know, you have to keep going and sort of plan for the future. Um, and when my site went, me and my fiance, we just got engaged. So the wedding plans have had to be put back, but we're still planning and you can still get married with no site. So, you know, that's kind of not been put on hold. But as I say, I wanted to be a writer and me and my fiancé said, if all else fails, I've got the ideas in my head, I can get him to ghostwrite for me. Um, and I mean, you never know, I could inspire some person in my position to think, well, all is not lost, I can carry on. And I know it's going to sound like a massive cliche, but I've always said, if there is nothing else that can be done for me, I might be able to help someone else in my position because it's been scary for me. It might be even scarier for someone else. I think what you're saying is is so incredibly powerful because you do want to be able to help people coming up behind you and almost kind of pave the way for them and make it a little bit easier through your experience. And, you know, you're so recently blind. There's so much out there in terms of software that you could use on your computer. Um, you know, all the things that you still to find out about, you don't need anybody to ghostwrite for you. You'll be able to write that book for yourself using the technology and the software that I use now and the stuff that I didn't know about when I first lost my sight these things take time but you know what you were saying about inspiring other people is is so incredibly true you just want to take that pain away for somebody else in the future don't you 
As I say, it was just so scary for me. And um, I'm lucky that I had my family and my friends around me. Everyone's rallied around me. Um, but you can't help but think, I feel really lucky. But if there was someone in my position or worse off than me, you never want them to feel the way that you did. And, um, you know, it does, while I'm thinking about my options, it does make you think, what about someone else who doesn't have the options that I do? So I would really love to just be able to show someone, you know, it doesn't mean that the whole world is going to end for you because there are so many things you can do. And like you say, there's so much technology out there to help. Um, you know, my fiance got me the Amazon Echo for Christmas and it's like having a little carer in the house with you. It's fantastic. Um, it's just the software that people are coming up with now. I mean, with the phone as well, I have to tell people if I get any of my messages wrong, it's because I'm telling the phone what to say. Although it does get me in trouble, it does put things that I did not mean in the slightest. <laughs> Listen, I've been there a million times, uh, especially when you're writing XXX, the number of sex, sex, sexes I've sent to people, uh, which has come across as being very inappropriate, depending on who the person <laughs> is. Uh, yes, I mean, voiceover is brilliant, but when it goes wrong, it can go drastically wrong. You know, Alexandra, you mentioned this wonderful man of yours, Scott, and uh, let's talk about him for a minute because you were saying that you know blind people can get married too and that is so very true obviously but you know when I lost my sight um, at 19 I kind of thought you know I'd never met anybody blind I thought I was going to live in a home I didn't think I'd ever meet anybody that would want to marry me because who would want a blind girlfriend or a blind wife and you know I have had my relationships you know and some of them have been great and some of them haven't been so great but I got married a couple of years ago and you know see if you have the right person by your side supporting you, then, you know, it means the absolute world. And Scott just sounds like he has scooped you up in his arms and, and he just wants to help with with everything, doesn't he? He just wants to get you back on track. He, he is brilliant. I can't fault him in the slightest. Um, the amount of times that I've said to him, I'm so sorry, you know, you had a fiancé and now you've got a dependent. I'm so sorry. How are you, you know, living life where, you know, you were just part of a couple and now you're a carer for someone? He's just looked at me and said, whatever it takes. And it is, I can't fault him. I honestly can't. I don't know how he copes. And when I have my little breakdowns and I'm just not in the right frame of mind to be around anyone, I don't know how he puts up with what he does. And he's always thinking of things that can make things easier for me. And I mean, a lot of girlfriends, you know, they're dragging their boyfriends shopping. You can see them. I used to laugh because I'd be stood on the makeup counter and you could tell who had brought their boyfriend along with them because you just see these, you know, glum, bored faces. And yet for Scott, it's so much harder because if I go in a clothes shop and I pick up some clothes, I'm going, how much is it? What size is it? What colour is that to you? Because one of my um, things that I've noticed since I lost my sight, because I am part sighted, I can sort of see the world around me, but it's changed so much. It, it's like having a veil over your eyes um, and I can't see the colour green anymore. It's made me colour blind. So I'm constantly like, what does this look like to you? What size is it? What price is it? Does it look okay? So it's a lot more for him to deal with than, you know, just a regular boyfriend of a person. And, you know, I honestly can't fault him because he's never had any experience dealing with anyone who's been dependent on him before. And he's just took to it like a duck to water. And I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have him. 
but you know, it, it separates the men from the boys as well. He's not doing that because you are dependent. He's doing that because he loves you. And that's what I mean about separating the, the men from the boys. A real man doesn't see it as a chore. Now, I could go shopping with a number of my different girlfriends. The one person I trust more than anyone is my husband's opinion. And he does not begrudge taking me shopping one bit because he knows that, you know, I do things for him. He does things for me. We're a partnership. And if the roles were reversed, I would do exactly the same for him. So whereas you feel like a dependent and you feel apologetic, that will change in the future because one day, you know, you're going to realise that he loves you for for you whether you've got eyesight or not whether you get your sight back or not he loves you because of the person you are yeah exactly and I mean he's always said to me oh if only I could swap and I've said to him well that would be pointless because then I'd be in the position where I'd say I wish I could swap but it is me that's got it and uh, I said to him you know okay so what if my sight comes back and he said well we'll never stop looking for you know a way to get your sight back And I said, okay, what if it doesn't? And he said, then we carry on as we are. And I mean, it's just something so simple. But if I didn't have him, I honestly think that I would just sit at home all day, just crying about little old me, feeling sorry for myself. He does keep me going. And uh, I've got my family around him, but he's, you know, he's family too. Considering we only met nearly four years ago, he's become such a massive part of my life. And like you say, you do trust them more than you trust people that you think you're closest to. And uh, I mean, you know, he's like a little guide dog sometimes. It's really funny, but he does look after me really well. Now, speaking of guide dogs, are you going to think of applying for a dog in the future or thinking of learning how to use the white cane in the interim? Uh, yeah, I think the the white cane would be better for me. Because um, as I say, I can sort of see the world around me, but it's like having a layer of dust over my eyes so crossing the road is really dangerous and things like that um but I can still sort of see and I think the stick would be easier for me but people always say to me if I didn't know what was going on with you I'd never think you were blind and I don't know what they expect me to look like but to everyone else I do look like a normal person you kind of think okay am I that dependent or do I just need something simple that can help me so I think the stick would be a lot better. Now, Alexandra, you did mention that you worked on a makeup counter. You worked for Benefit. Uh, you trained in beauty. Um, beauty is a big thing in my life. I am so into my makeup. How are you finding, you know, makeup? Are you still able to, to put it on? I am still able to put it on. Um, I do need someone to sort of, uh, mainly Scott, <laughs> to come and say, oh, you've got some smudges here or you've got a bit of powder fallout here that you might need to brush off and... I mean, Scott is the most heterosexual man I know, and yet he's there like, oh, you need to blend your contour a bit more, babe, and all this. And um, But it is, I do find it still quite easy, but I think I was used to it, as I say, working on a makeup counter. But I'm quite fussy with my makeup routine. Um, like, I like to curl my eyelashes. I like to use waterproof mascara because it's the only thing that holds the curl. So it's been a lot harder trying to curl your lashes when you can't see. When you use mascara, you think, oh, my God, am I going to poke myself in the eye? Or I used to love wearing red lipstick. And sometimes I think, what if I put that on and I just look like a complete clown and it's all over my face? And it's been a challenge, but it's definitely still doable for me. Um, but I will say this because I don't wear it every day because it's too much hassle, it takes too much time now. 
Um, but I never used to even dare to go out the house without makeup. And I don't know if it's because I can't see myself or I can't see the reactions of other people when they see me. Um, but it's made me a lot more body confident because now I just think, yeah, I'll go out without makeup and I don't care. Because you just think, well, you know, it's just a mask, really. And you're not going to sit there and put it on every day just for other people. And it does make me feel better when I do wear it. It makes me feel a bit more myself. But at the same time, I care a lot less now about what I look like than I used to. Well, do you know, I just think you're such an inspiration, Alexandra. I really do. And it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. It really has. So many people are going to take so much from this interview. So thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself with me. I really appreciate it. And we'd love to hear from you again. We want to keep on top of what's happening and, and do keep in touch with us here at the radio station. But for now, the very best of luck with the future. And thank you for joining me. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. For more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.